The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. A very good afternoon to you. It is uh, Monday, the 12th of December, uh, 12th of September, rather. Sure, I'm getting away with myself here. I know the high holidays are a couple of weeks away, and thereafter the national holidays, but um, I've brought everything forward. Time has really flown this year. It's very hard to believe that we are, in fact, in September. Today, um, joining me will be a, a guest we've had on the show before and somebody that I really admire. He epitomizes the sense of volunteering, something that we don't see enough of something that our president has spoken of something that so many organizations have spoken of yet very few people are prepared to take it up they prepare to be armchair critics they prepare to perhaps now and again throw money at a cause that they believe is close to their heart but it's very seldom that you'll find them getting out of their comfortable homes getting into a car and patrolling the streets of their communities, attending meetings with the police, organizing meetings that form the basis of public-private partnerships in this fight, this joint fight that we have against crime in South Africa. Joining me in a couple of minutes is Dr. Mikhail Riza Patel. Um, no stranger to those that uh, are in the Gauteng fight against crime. To those that don't know him, it's going to be a very, very interesting interview. I'd like to remind you that the views expressed on the show aren't necessarily those of Chai FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on Chai FM. Our president has many detractors, and of late, he hasn't had the best time, especially when one considers the Palapala investigation. But when one looks at the the standpoint of President Ramaphosa when he stood for president of, of the ruling party and became president of our country, and when one looks at his background, he is somebody that has led by example. He, he introduced a program called Tuma Mina, which in English is loosely translated as Send Me. And it comes from the lyrics of a song by the very famous late Hugh Masekela. And if I may be permitted, I'm going to read those lyrics. It says, I want to be there when the people start to turn it around, when they triumph over poverty. I want to be there when the people win the battle against AIDS. I want to lend a hand. I want to be there for the alcoholic. I want to be there for the drug addict. I want to be there for the victims of violence and abuse. I want to lend a hand. Send me. Ramaphosa, I say, lived these ideals, and he did. Um, not only during the Cadessa negotiations, not as Secretary General of the ANC, but more importantly, as a police reservist. Yes, Cyril Ramaphosa was a police reservist. When he became a big businessman, he didn't hide behind his gates at home. He went to the reservist college down the road in Houghton, studied to be a reservist, and actually worked as a reservist. Helping me to understand how volunteers are making a difference in the communities in the fight against crime is Dr. Mikhail Riza Patel. Doc, very good afternoon to you. Thank you very much and thanks for having me, Chad. So Doc, you and I have known each other for a very long time. I've always held you in very high regard because of the work that you've done in communities. So I want to take it through the stages. You started off in a community it then became a region, it then became a province. 
and you still wear a number of those hats. And then you also put together an organization that brings volunteers together with registered security companies and the police together. Let's start at the community level, move to region, move to province. How did you get started? Right. What had happened is I uh, always lived in the apartheid system type of uh, housing environment. So we were limited in movement. In that environment, we learned very much how to take care of our own. Uh, policing was limited. Um, there wasn't very much attention to us in terms of needs, etc. So we were already self-taught uh, in terms of where we came from. And having moved to a, a, a different area, an environment in 1990, when group areas um, walked away and they were dropping all sorts of things, I moved in what was then called a white area, uh, which uh, doesn't exist anymore. And in that area, they had a volunteer system uh, where they had a yellow and white nomad. I think you know these vehicles. And Pam Kirkland, who I will always remember very fondly uh, uh, in our, from our neighborhood, came to me with a cup of tea and said, welcome to the neighborhood, and I want you as a volunteer. And I was taken aback because I wasn't accustomed to people approaching me to join uh, any entity. We were the ones doing the actual volunteer work. So there I went, charging off with her, and we then enlisted in this thing called a neighborhood watch, which was for an area called Mackenzie Park. And we do this, um, it was from January of 1990 that I got involved in the neighborhood watch concept there. And ever since then, I had then escalated my movements towards anything that was lawful, acceptable, and helpful to the community. And that's where it all started, this whole thing of wanting to be involved. I then got involved a little bit in business, which sidetracked me somewhat uh, from the primary contribution to community. Although I was still doing it at that time, I slowed down a little bit. Uh, and then I escalated it again when, uh, about two years later, when uh, people came along and said, uh, there's this thing called Community Police Forum. And we looked at one another saying, what is that? And they said, look, it's just been promulgated. But there are people that have been running it, and uh, it's now come to our area. And uh, we looked into that, and that's where I got involved in community policing. Uh, where we were called into an area that was then disbanded by the Department of Community Safety at that time. And they wanted to elect a new CPF, and they started with all of these different sectors. I didn't truly want uh, myself to be involved in, in community work perpetually. But what had happened is I then began witnessing brutality, uh, failed service delivery. I witnessed... Um, uh, negatives of a serious kind in terms of corruption, coercion, uh, extortion, etc., from this, both from the side of gangs upon communities as well as that of the law authorities. And we're not talking about now, we're talking about the 90s. And at that time I said, no, I did not give, my family and I did not give our lives to the struggle for no reason. This is my purpose in life and this is where I'm going to take up these kinds of things. At that time, I was very successful in the industry that uh, I'm still in. And uh, when I say successful, I probably gave about 10% of my time to community then and 90% of my time to business. It's the reverse role now. I'm doing about 70% of my time to community and 30% for everything else. 
So that's where it all started, Chad, in terms of community service. If we talk about community policing, you started as a volunteer back in 1990. Of course, we saw a whole restructuring of the police force becoming a police service and the need for community engagement. With your experience at ground ground route all the way up to now at provincial, what would you define as the community's involvement with their policing? I think um, at this particular time, uh, we have no option but to be there. We have a uh, very neglected system. We have a an arena which doesn't allow for the correct level of service delivery. So what's happening at the moment is that we have a uh, situation where civilians have taken charge of their areas. Civilians are now involved in the fight against crime. Civilians, in fact, have a higher level of technology in terms of the fight against crime than what government does uh, in, a, in a scale. So government may have uh, serious technology and so on, but uh, on a scale, if one calculates uh, contribution by community, I think that community's involvement right now is primary uh, in, in that. So what we're saying as a people post-1994 is that, yeah, we've got problems, but we, can, we need to solve them together. And this, to me, is a stumbling block because if the state themselves have said from a school perspective – a parent must have a say in the schooling, which created governing bodies. And if government said the community must have a say, not may have a say or might have a say, must have a say in the way in which their community is policed, thus leading to the establishment of CPFs, why then do we still see apathy on the part of communities to get involved, yet they are so quick to complain when something negative happens? Look, this happens in all walks. So you'd find it not limited to policing. And I think if you look at the healthcare system, the education system, and you look around at almost everything, whether it's agriculture, whether it's uh, disaster management, you find that the neglect is there, the failure is there, and everything negative is there. But reality tells you that when you prepare anything, ensure that the foundation of what you're preparing includes those people to whom you want to pro uh, provide the service delivery, and from whom you expect a cooperation. So, Chad, if you're out there and you have a traffic policeman stop you and he is giving you a fine, if you don't have an understanding of what this is all about, you will become aggressive, you will become violent, you will become negative. Understanding your rights is very important. So, what what where it all went sideways is that the community realized that there's a lot of negative and there's a lot of failures and many startups have now commenced many groupings have now taken it upon themselves to exist so if we look at the constitution which you referred to and we look at where you come from that's an important thing who am i what gives me the right of existence how can i get involved what provides the foundation for me to do that? And now knowing this is important. So Section 22.2 of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa is a very vital segment, which is the birth of the CPF. And then if you look at the South African Police Act, 191 and 191A, 
uh, and the Act 68 of 1995, and a number of guidelines, white papers, etc. All of these have the vested uh, development, management, and system of a community police forum. Now you've got other entities that have suddenly come to light. And I like giving it the way that uh, people understand it. One morning, Fani woke up and decided to register an NPO. And Fani and his group of people decided that they're going to actually decide what the constitution of that NPO is going to be and what those rules and regulations are going to be and what they're going to do. But none of it is promulgated anywhere in the Act. None of it gives them the right to do any of that. Instead, what they should be doing is saying, we would like to do this. How can we allow ourselves to align ourselves to what is lawful? Now, what is lawful in times of community or civilians being in, involved in law in South Africa is community police forums. In one province of this country, which is the Western Cape, they've gone and changed the, um, the act the, the legislative, uh, legislative Act for the province, where they include volunteers, they accept uh, the neighborhood watches and so on. There are no other provinces that have done that. So anywhere else in the country, it's then unlawful because it doesn't exist. But realistically, how can you tell people not to defend themselves? So you have a bit of a quandary. Now, going back to the picture of the guys that registered their NPO, it becomes hard for us to understand how they cannot fathom that you need to be existing somewhere in a safety plan or a stakeholder arrangement or an MOU somewhere, and there isn't any of that. So it becomes difficult in foundation for those that are not registered. But community police foray exist, and that's where we should be. And that's our foundation, so 22-2. And that's the start of where, where we will talk to uh, Chad. When we come back, we're going to talk more to Dr. Reza about how these um, community policing forums are making a difference, not just at a station level, but on a regional level and a provincial level. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. If you're tired of getting contractors in to fix your leaky roof, only to find out that your roof still leaks, it's time to sort that leak out for good. Rubber Roofs manufacture and apply the rubber paint to your roof. Your roof will look great and won't leak anymore. Rubber Roofs offer a 10-year warranty. Rubber Roofs is the trusted name in roof waterproofing. Find out more at rubberroofs.co.za. We're chatting today to Dr. Riza Patel, somebody who has been volunteering his time for 32 years. 32 years of being a volunteer, 32 years of being involved in policing forums, 32 years of being involved at the very top of his game by being appointed in various positions to the Gauteng Policing Board. Help us break this down. We have community policing forums that we all know about at station level. Then you have the Gauteng Policing Board, which is established with with the assistance, I believe, or under the guidance of the MEC for Safety and Security. And then, of course, Gauteng is divided up. How does that work? Okay, if we go to grassroots, uh, Chad, um, at the lowest level, you have a collective of suburbs or areas 
clustered together and they're called a sector. So example, where we are now, you'll have a few police stations that feed into the area. But let's just look at one police station that feeds the local area. In that police station, you may have three, four, seven, ten different sectors. A sector is a number of areas that are brought together with a boundary around them. And that is then called a sector. A sector, well, you have various sectors of a police station, and those come together and they form a station CPF structure. And then the station belongs to something called a sub-district, a previous cluster. And um, a sub-district is a collective of police stations for an area. Uh, example, the area where we are, that's Johannesburg East Cluster. And uh, there's a number of police stations. I think there are 11 in total or 12 uh, for this area that belong to that Joburg East Cluster. Uh, and then those sub-districts belong to a district. Uh, the, there are five districts in um, the uh, province of Gauteng. And the five districts will then have something called a provincial police board. And that province is that of Gauteng. So you have a, a board. Currently, we have 22 members on that board representing the five districts. And then, of course, you have uh, six executive members to that board, of which I am one of those six. Help us to understand the role that the provincial board plays. And ultimately, we know that the, the Gauteng Department of Safety and Security is involved. But, of course, dealing with the police on a station level, you have the police commissioners, both from a provincial and a national level, that also come into play. Does it get confusing at times? Not at all. Uh, one must always maintain the identity uh, and the constitution. So understanding who you are and the hat you're wearing and understanding the applicable constitution always guides you. And we have a, a code of conduct that allows for us to be able to manage that. So you asked about the p uh, parenthood or the guardianship of the structures. At the local level, you would have your sector commander managing that. At the station level, you would have your station commander managing the relationship. At the sub-district, you would have the uh, sub-district representative from the district commander's office, and at the district, you would have the district commander. The same applies to the provincial police board. You would have the provincial commissioner and his team there, and that's where the MEC for community safety also sits at that level. So at any level from the station upwards, you've got involvement of the office of the MEC there. Uh, sub, uh, the, the sector forums don't necessarily need that involvement unless otherwise requested. The involvement of policing with the CPF, uh, a, a CPF cannot be a CPF without the P. So the police is the, the police structure, they're part of this, this community police forum. Uh, in that structure, you would find that a civilian like myself would chair a structure like that and not the police. And you would find that the committee and the office bearers are the civilians and not the police. But the relationship is that between the police and the, the civil society that's there. And we have a, in many areas, you have a misunderstanding of that. And that's where a lot of um, the relationships don't work out. Uh, a lot of police assume that the civilians wish to tell them what to do, and the civilians assume they they are being told what to do or they want to tell the police what to do. And that's not what CPFs are about. CPFs are a conduit between community and police. That's what the CPF structure is. 
the needs, fears, threats of societies is where the conduit allows the, the movement of those communications, information, bridges are built between us and the police. And when I say us, I'm not a policeman. I can never aspire to be a policeman. I am a member of civil society and I represent civil society. So I am civil society's leg, an arm of the bridge that's going across there. So the, the picture that's painted in the mind is that you have civilians. Once that particular structure is voted in and they exist, they become a statutory uh, structure. A, a CPF is not an NPO. It's not a willy-nilly, uh, by the way, uh, collective group of people that decided to come together. It's a statutory body. The, uh, we exist in terms of Act 60, well, we regulated by Act 68 of 1995, and there are only three entities regulated there. One is the South African Police Service, the other one is the Metro Police, and the other one is the Community Police Forum. Now, you've got to think, um, hold on a second, <laughs> they regulated, my God, they exist in terms of the same act as the police, and they're regulated by that. This gives you some sort of understanding of the seriousness of what a community police forum is. And what's happened is that particular sense of um, seriousness has somewhat been, I wouldn't say disenfranchised or um, uh, forgotten. It needs to be highlighted that this is not a by-the-way structure. It's the primary structure for communities to be involved in in the fight against crime. So that leads me to a very interesting point. Do you believe that a lot of the authority that's been granted to CPFs has been eroded by people not understanding the role played and the fact that it is a, it's a statutory requirement for stations to have that CPF and that they are established in terms of the act you spoke about? Do you think that the perception in the minds of some people is that CPFs are to hold a monthly meeting where you can go complain about lack of visibility without realizing that the CPF has a far greater role to play than just creating a forum where people can come complain about their police? Yes, um, that's exactly what has happened. Um, instead of um, the CPF structure focusing on what is primary to them, there's a number of things that have happened um, that have allowed for uh, the um, functionality of a CPF uh, to be eroded or to be uh, negatively influenced by agendas or to be um, influenced again by political negatives, etc. And we at the board uh, are physically looking at those in a very serious way. Uh, we're not allowing that to continue. In actual fact, we have a structure now on the board that will be reschooling CPFs and their structures as to what we are. We have a constitution. It's very clear in the constitution as to what you may and may not do. So a CPF cannot do what the police does. We cannot do that. No civilian may do what the police does. Uh, you may have as many guns on your side and you may have as many badges on your car and as many lights on your roof as you want to. You cannot do what the police are meant to do. It's as simple as that. But if a policeman gives you an instruction, you may. Now, if you look at a neighborhood and you look at, the, uh, look at our current situation. I arrived here, Chad, and there's no electricity outside. So what happens on the roads? Leave the day. What about at night? Do you really think that the darkness doesn't attract trouble? 
So, yes, we do need those lights on the road or we do need CPFs all over the place. But you cannot have a person lose his identity as a civilian and pretend to be the police. So when you go to a meeting, focus on what it is your constitution mandates you to do. And that is talk to the fears, needs and threats. Listen to the community. Bring people together. Bring the police to the people. Focus on the problems at hand. Yes, I know. A lot of people will say, we do that and the police do this, that and the other. And they do nothing about it. Really, have you now organized yourself? Yes, we have organized ourselves and we're better than the police. You'll never be better than the police because the police are the only ones that are allowed to go to the court of law and provide expert testimony, not you, civilian. You know, I'm saying that to myself. Remember, when we speak, we must remind ourselves of who we are. And that's why we must always be able to assist our police in the fight against crime. We're not there to fight crime in a sole manner. We're not there to fight the crime on our own. We're there to fight crime in the partnership with the P in the CPF, and that's important. So we're talking about the partnership. We're talking about the meetings that take place. Does the CPF have any oversight obligations towards its community in respect of issues that may be raised relating to the police in that particular area? Yes, yes, and yes. That is uh, one of the uh, fundamental uh, properties that one focuses on as a CPF. The, uh, the, the oversight role is the primary role of a CPF to ensure that this, the, the station is functional, to ensure that there are vehicles, to ensure that service is, is delivered, to ensure. And what must you do if it's not? You send it to a process where attention is drawn to the fact that it's not being rendered or that there's no attention being given, etc., etc. But one needs to, Chad, in, a, in any situation, one needs to first have a relationship in order to have a delivery on anything. So people get elected to positions. They don't, don't have a relationship with their station commanders or their sector managers or their, their uh, members. And they walk about as a dictatorship or they walk about as a, an authority, which you can't do. A CPF is not an authority. A, C, a CPF is a statutory body. So in terms of law, we are the law body. And that's important that people must understand. We are the law body in terms of relationship between community and police. That's the important thing. No other civilian structure is a law body. Any other civilian structure is a, and I'm going to quote the words of the MEC for Community Safety. She was in a meeting with us at Okai Mulau um, about a week and a half, two weeks ago in Benoni. And she came there and she said, any other structure that is not a stakeholder or has not got an MOU or has not applied to her office or anywhere else is a vigilante organization, which realistically, Chad, would be the case. If you look at anyone in the streets with guns and weapons and lights and doing all sorts of things, and then one would ask them, excuse me, who are you? And that's why I always say, know your identity. So in essence, and I'm sorry to deviate from the topic, but if we look at something like Operation Dudula, by them assuming the role of home affairs officials by demanding to see whether people are documented or undocumented is unlawful. 
Very much so. But remember, I will say that in my right, because that is what it is. In, in the minds of many people, they have decided that I can do this. I have the right to do it. But then nobody's questioning them. And this is important. Nobody's bringing people to book and saying to, excuse me, who gave you that authority? Where's the right to do this? So very much like how somebody steals something from you and you open a case with the police or somebody stops you in the road or pulls you over and it's, uh, it's not the police and you open a case against them. Do this with everything else so that people begin to understand that, look, you're not the police. You cannot do this because we don't know the difference between what is the actual police and what is the fake police. And you know this too. Uh, we have many people with the blue lights syndrome. We have a lot of instances where people are, you can't do this. Civilians must know their place, but civilians have a right to empower themselves, to organize themselves, but do so according to the act. Do so according to your mandate. Do so in conjunction with the police. Don't go out there and do, do it in a vigilante way or in an independent way. It's not going to work. It comes back to what you just said now about these meetings and about people doing whatever they want. You can't. So people have lost focus. Come back to it. Nothing wrong with what you're doing as a grouping. In other words, being a CPF. But it's wrong to go out there and do things which are not within your mandate. We're speaking to Dr. Riza Patel today about the importance of the structures that communities can be a part of the legal structures that include communities when it comes to partnering with the police. When we come back, I want to talk about the expansion of this partnership and whether or not security companies can also play a role in assisting communities secure their environment. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. We're chatting to Dr. Riza Patel today about the importance of community involvement and the way that communities can legally assist the police in the execution of their duties or render a very important function, which is that of oversight. Something we're seeing a lot of, Doc, is the fact that security companies are being used to police areas. We're seeing the outsourcing of police patrols to security companies. You'll see certain security companies are strong in certain areas. I don't know whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. I think for now with the fight against crime, it's a good thing as long as everybody knows, like you said, which lane they are in. But let's take it one step further. We know that there's certain public-private partnerships that are taking place, and we understand that in this fight against crime, we need the involvement of the private sector. Now, you've spoken very eloquently and very detailed about the role of civil society. Now we're talking about the private sector, people that are providing a security service for gain. Do they fit into this whole mechanism of assisting communities with securing their environment? Yes, they do. They absolutely do, especially in these times. Um, if we go uh, uh, pre-94, uh, I don't think we would have needed that kind of involvement. Uh, if we look right now, there's more of a need of that than there is for anything else. Um, so, yes, most definitely they do fit in. We must remember that they are regulated. So that's a key fundamental for me. 
any body that is regulated by law to me is an acceptable solution in the fight against crime. So that's your departure point. If you don't belong to a body that regulates you, then who are you? Then what are you? So a security company, most definitely. Um, there are issues in any organization and any entity, you will find issues. Uh, for example, the uh, hiring of undocumented persons, you'll find the issue of um, criminals uh, that are involved in uh, security companies where they are able to get uh, a fake certificate of their clearance in terms of fingerprints. In the meanwhile, these guys have been involved in robberies, etc., etc. Look, there's a massive negative in terms of the regulatory authority that controls the security industry because they too have massive pit pitfalls in terms of their compliance, in terms of their management of these different entities and so on. But remember, in every structure, like I said, you're going to have a problem. So government has a problem. CPFs have a problem. Security companies have problems. So does this mean we must look away from them? We can't. Uh, security companies are a valuable resource. Security companies are doing a sterling job uh, in, in many ways. Uh, there are all those undertones that fit with the security companies. But in truth, we... we I find that uh, security companies have a place in, in this particular fight, Chad. So you hit on an important point there. In any organization, especially when you're talking about organizations that are representative on the ground of our entire country, that get brought all the way down to local level, you're going to have rogue elements within the police. There'll be rogue elements of people wanting to join CPFs for their own um, nefarious agendas. And of course, you're going to have rogue operators that are registered in the security space. But we're seeing more and more the fact that the state is becoming reliant on not officially outsourcing certain functions, but where they know there's a security company or a CPF that has members with a footprint in a specific area, they're turning more and more to them, not just from the intelligence perspective, but even to assist from a reaction perspective, even if it's just to assist with a cordon. Is this a good thing? Yes, uh, it is a very good thing. Remember, we, we now need to distinguish in truth between the different factors. So you have um, a police service whose function it is to maintain law and order. You then have a security industry whose business it is to maintain uh, uh, the law and order. So we must, we must look at those words. Um, and then you've got a civil society grouping established in terms of law whose function it is to ensure the oversight thereof. So both of those. And collectively, these three entities can work together. What has happened in terms of South Africa, and you find that uh, where the, the failure is, is that uh, policing became somewhat dysfunctional. Uh, we it become neglectful. Um, failed to a point... Uh, the police are trying. They, they have limited resources. They have a number of challenges. The security industry has got this massive thing about the stigma of uh, uh, illegals, the stigma of, of complicity in crime, the stigma of etc., etc. Who is overseeing them? The CPF is meant to do that. Any entity that's fighting crime that is regulated is regulated by a regulatory authority. Regulation is not the same as oversight, which is where your question came about earlier as to the office of the MEC. The office of the MEC is the point in a province that is the guardian and custodian in terms of safety and security. 
So that office is more senior to that of the policing officers or any metro police office, any SAPS office, etc. So that is the particular office that is the guardian of CPFs. So if you look at that, that uh, would immediately tell you that this structure of CPFs is actually meant to provide an oversight role. The reporting role would be to the reg regulatory authority. So who regulates security companies? CIRA. So it would be the CPFs reporting to CIRA in that way. Who regulates the police? Act 68 of 95. So they're regulated by themselves. But you also have the Secretariat for Policing where reporting can go to. CPFs have that function. So if you look at the involvement of security companies, I think security companies too need to get very close to CPFs. In, in many places they have. And there mustn't be a confusion of roles. A security company may not do what a CPF does. And a CPF may not do what a security company does. That is an important thing to remember. What's happened is because of the shortages, because of the failures, because of the, the drama we find ourselves in today, everyone's just gone and extended themselves to doing things. And with time, it's become an accepted norm that people are allowed or they're doing this. So if you talk in your environment, oh, no, uh, the CPF in our area does this, and no, our security company does that, and then you say, excuse me, since when does a security company have a mandate outside of the premises of their client? And then you ask, since when does a CPF have the right to stop and search? Since when? And then you come about with this thing and you say to yourself, what happened here? What went sideways? How can we best improve this? And it's not for civil society to fight it. It's for civil society to get it better organized. Because if you fight it, who's winning here? The criminals. And we at a loss fighting one another. Whereas if we organize ourselves better and we actually function with one another, we're going to do an astounding job. It was what we were having a, a discussion about just now, uh, Chad, with the command centers that we, we are busy running and the, the, the significance of that and how constructive that's going to be in the fight against crime. Had it not been for security companies, that would not be possible, if you understand where I'm going with that. We're talking to Dr. Patel today about the importance of partnerships. We started off talking about community involvement. We've moved on to partnerships. And I think that is the critical part of this conversation. We'll continue straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in waterproofing. Dr. Patel, before we went to break, we had moved on from community policing forums into the broader term of partnerships. And partnerships is, is, the, is critical here because I think that's what you're all about. Let's expand on what you're talking about in respect of control centers, coming together of the community policing forums, coming together of the security companies, the police and other stakeholders. Um, Chad, that would be, uh, I think you're alluding to CCIN, if I'm not mistaken, if, I, if I'm going there. Let's talk about the CCIN. Okay, CCIN was a, a structure that came together with a, uh, a word um, where people came together and we just had a gentleman's agreement of, of sharing ideas and so on for a little while. I went around with hat in hand, we formed this grouping and that started eight and a half years ago. And it exists today, and we have a membership there which is representative of uh, police, metro police, uh, 
members of mayoral committees, uh, mayors, security companies, CPFs, and uh, all of these are primaries from each organization. And you find that we have a collective membership there in excess uh, our reach there. If we had to send a message out and our members sent a message out, is in excess of 36 million people. So that's a very strong uh, type of approach if you look at it. And what we did there was we, we decided that, listen, we're all in the fight against crime here. Each one has their own mandate. So if you talk to me about your mandate, I'm not going to get the opportunity of sharing my ideas and so on with you. So we have a collective table and it's called CCI and wherein we share these ideas, trends, technology uh, happenings. In the background, you have my team and I going around plastering, patching, putting up a bit of glue, uh, getting wounds healed, uh, doing the entire um, uh, debate, um, discussion, mending, healing between partnerships that have been warring, fighting each other and so on in the fight against crime. So we cannot, as people, primaries that are fighting crime, we cannot fight each other. We should be fighting crime head on. And that's what CCIN does. CCIN is the synergy, the, the bondage, the collective networking uh, platform that allows all of these partners to come to. So we've got City of Joburg, City of Ikuruleni, City of Tswane on that platform. We've got the chiefs. We've got the um, um, uh, collective uh, MMCs. We've got uh, the, the uh, provincial commissioner and his team of Gauteng that are on that group, etc. And we've got different platforms. We have a KZN one, we've got a Western Cape, and we've got a Gauteng one. And on these platforms, what we do is we allow all of the um, ongoing crime trends uh, occurrences to come through. Uh, once or, or twice in a year we have a convention. Our next one is on the 8th of October, which you've accepted, I see. <laughs> and uh, what we're going to do there is we're going to have this meeting where we share these things. But in so speaking, CCIN also allows for development. Uh, CCIN allows for uh, bringing together of relationship partners in the improvement in the fight against crime. So where there are voids, we come and fill in, we augment, supplement, etc. Our most recent um, endeavors has been the command centers where we've brought SAPS specialized, uh, Houting traffic police specialized, uh, metro police specialized into a command center with us um, as well as immigration, sorry. And uh, with the use of technology in the command center, we were better able to fight um, trio crimes. So the far serious crimes, the first one was established in uh, Benoni on the, on the plots. The second one is in process now at Bruma. We've just finalized an understanding and agreement uh, where we have a high driven uh, technology center there. And it looks at everything, social media, it looks at CCTV, uh, it looks at LPRs, it looks at, it listens to radios. So it's a command center with all of the key partners therein. And these command centers service, the, the client of the command center is not the general public. So a security company would look after their clients, a CPF would look after their members, the police would be talking to each other. But when they need assistance, this command center is the backbone that provides the support for the crime fighters in the fight against crime. So when you hear of somebody saying, I need backup, I'm being shot at, I need assistance, there's a cash in transit, there's a this going on and so on. These are the centers that were necessary in order to be driven. 
the the both centers now well the second center will be optimal probably in 30 days i'm hoping before the the eighth we can have it off the ground uh, the third one will be in Midrand. We've already pinned a location there. Uh, we're currently in discussions about what square meter region so on that we need. And these are things that help the fight uh, against crime. And you would want to know how much of money I'm making out of this. It's actually totally free. It's what I do as a passion. I love this. My intellect goes into it, my time, my energies, my efforts. And we get sponsors. You know, there are various partnerships that we get involved with. They, they fund these kinds of endeavors. And that's where we are. So to wrap up, the CCIN encapsulates everything we've spoken about today, especially in respect of public-private partnerships. Very much so, yes, absolutely. And can anybody become involved? Is there a vetting process? How do people find out more about the CCIN? Uh, we have a web page, CCIN. Uh, if you just look it up, you'll find it. It's on Facebook. Uh, and if you want to know more, ccin.com, uh, ccincoms uh, is uh, at gmail.com is our email address. You can go there. Otherwise, they can get details from you, Chad. It's a very closed pool. So if you want to get involved, you've got to be uh, regulated. If you're not regulated, uh, we cannot accept you. You must have a social media standing, which is clear. You must not be in dispute. You must have a criminal record that's free. You, if you're a security company, we want three years worth of good standing. There's a number of other facets that are very difficult. It makes it uh, difficult for you to get in there. But once you're in, uh, it means you're okay. And uh, we give you a platform to be able to get assistance from everywhere. In closing, can we turn this tide of crime? Absolutely. Sheer will will allow that. Sheer will and I think volunteers. Will comes with volunteerism. I mean, you, you cannot become a volunteer unless you have the will to. You cannot do the change unless you politician has the will to. You cannot succeed unless you with the money wills that 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 particular sponsorship etc if you don't will to be involved you don't not interested you're not keen it's not going to go anywhere so change attitude get involved dr patel thank you for your time thank you very much chad Chumamina, our president called for it um long after um reza patel had heeded that call but you still have time get involved at local level get involved with your sector policing your community policing forums and perhaps you yourself can make a difference it starts at home confidential brief was proudly brought to you by rubber roofs the trusted name in roof waterproofing if you're tired of getting contractors in to fix your leaky roof only to find out your roof still leaks it's time to sort that leak for good Rubber Roofs manufacture and apply the rubber roof to your paint. Your roof will look great and won't leak anymore. Rubber Roofs offer a 10-year warranty. Rubber Roofs is the trusted name in roof waterproofing. Find out more at rubber, rubberroofs.coza. I'll be back same time, same place next week.